Well, a bloke named Robert Jordan arrived with this little wooden writing chest under his arm. He bought it at a garage sale for about 20 bucks, and he was curious to know if he'd got a big good deal. He almost they told him it was actually a Victorian period antique, valued at something like $2,000, over 100 times what he'd paid for it. He went away a happy man. I don't know, maybe it's my psyche, but I couldn't help thinking about the poor people who had sold him the chest at the garage sale in the first place. Can you imagine them sitting at home watching the show? Imagine how they would have felt, realising that they actually had something so valuable. They let it go cheaply. That is always a terrible mistake to make. And friends, that is the lesson the lesson of making sure you hold on very tightly to things of value. That is precisely the lesson that the New Testament applies to the New Covenant, which we just read about in Jeremiah 31. Or more precisely, the New Covenant, which we just reread about in Jeremiah 31. Because as Earl's pointed out, over the last few weeks, uh, been on exactly this same passage. And it is not something I've never done before. In almost 20 years of preaching, I've never preached on the same exact verses for three weeks in a row. But if the truth be known, it's because I can't bring myself to leave this passage without finally having a look at what the New Testament has to say about it. Because up until now, for the sake of time, we haven't actually done that. Now, we've seen lots of things about the passage, good things. We've seen uh, that it's one of the high points of the Old Testament. We've seen that Jeremiah 31, it describes a covenant, it describes an arrangement with God that is impossible to improve upon. Uh, An arrangement where God's people are given a new heart, where God's people are given a deep, rich intimacy with God from the least to the greatest. An arrangement where God's people have their sins utterly and completely washed. And we've seen that this new covenant is great stuff for you and I, because as followers of Jesus, we are living in this covenant. Uh, when Jesus Christ uh, died and rose from the dead, he, he effectively brought into being this covenant. And when we put our trust in Jesus, we become the beneficiaries of it. We've seen lots of good stuff about this uh, new covenant in Jeremiah 31. But it wouldn't be right to leave the passage without also looking at what the New Testament has to say about it. And put simply, what the New Testament says is that a covenant this good You've got to hold on to it at all costs. Because it is a terrible mistake to have something really valuable and let it go cheaply. And whatever you do, you don't want to get to the end of your life and to have walked away from an arrangement like this with God. Well, let's see how the New Testament accepts that. Come with me now to the New Testament book of Hebrews and pretty much where Earl read to us, when uh, the meeting opened up. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. I'd like to pick it up at verse 15. Hebrews 10, verse 15. And while you're looking it up, let me tell you that the context of these verses that we're about to have a look at in Hebrews, the, the story so far in Hebrews is that the writer is trying to convince Jewish Christians to stick with Jesus and to not drift back into an Old Testament way of doing things. Now that may seem a pretty weird thing to have to have to do, uh, the thought of 
getting into Old Testament Judaism probably never crossed your mind, but for people who have been Jewish from birth, that's pretty understandable. Old Testament Judaism would have had a big pull on them because that's what they were raised with. That's what they know about. That's what they're most familiar with. That's what they're most comfortable with. And so what Hebrews does is that it effectively gives this head-to-head comparison between Jesus and Old Testament Judaism. Hebrews systematically goes through and compares the arrangements with God under the Old Testament and the arrangements with God under the New Testament with Jesus. And it's all the time making the point that things with God are heaps better with Jesus than Judaism. Why on earth would you drift away from Jesus back into that? It's a bit like uh, how last week, uh, I think it was on the Monday, Apple launched the new iPhone. And so if you visit their website, it's full of information about why the new iPhone is heaps better than the old one. Uh, It runs faster, got a longer battery life, you can shoot videos with it, it's got a little compass for Google Maps, you can play a song and make a phone call at the same... Pages and pages and pages of stuff about why the new one is much better than the old one. Now I've got a birthday coming up, so I made sure that Sue got to see all this information... But that's the sort of thing that Hebrews is doing here. Hebrews is pointing out that through the death and resurrection of Jesus, God has launched something far better than a new iPhone. He has launched a whole new arrangement in which we enjoy a, a full forgiveness and great security and, and rich intimacy, more so than ever before. And so just like if you were offered a choice between a new iPhone and an old one, you'd go for the new one all the time. Hebrews wants these Jewish Christians to go with Jesus all the time. And by chapter 10, verse 15, the threads are starting to be pulled together to this argument. Verse 15. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First he says, This is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. And then he adds, sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, there's no longer any sacrifice for sin. Now, do you recognise the quote from Jeremiah tucked in there? It's actually not the first time it's been quoted in the book. Uh, Jeremiah's already been quoted way back in chapter 8, and ever since then, the, the writer's actually been explaining how good this new covenant is. Basically saying a lot of the things we thought about last week, about how this new covenant is the ultimate covenant. Hebrews now goes on to deal with it. Look at the conclusion. Look at the practical applications that are going to flow out of this uh, new covenant. Verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, Now, in those verses, it's drawing a lot of imagery from the past two chapters, basically saying that since God has delivered this new covenant by Jesus being the best priest, offering the best sacrifice in the perfect house of God, uh, well, because Jesus has done that, in that case, verse 22, let's draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let's consider how we may spur one another towards love and good deeds. Let's not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let's encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, friends, in those verses, Hebrews lists out five practical things we ought to be doing. 
as a result of the new covenant. You can see the five things by that recurring phrase, let us, uh, verse 22, 23, 24, twice in 25, five times that because the new covenant is this good, then let's do this, let's do this, let's do this, let's do this, let's do this. The first two we're told about, they relate to being confident with God. Do you see that, verse 22? Let's draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. In other words, we can have a lot of confidence with which to approach God now because of the terms of the new covenant that Jesus has brought in. Although we're sinful, although we do fail God, despite all of that, we're bold in approaching God. We, we don't have to be timid or shy in the prayers that, that we had just a few moments ago. We can have full assurance of faith because remember last week, because of Jesus, God looks on us now as washed clean. Sitting there in your chair, no matter what you've done, no matter how many times you've done it, God sees you without blemish. They are the terms of the covenant, remember. Hebrews just quoted them again. We get them in verse 17. Sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. It's what we saw last week. There is nothing you can't talk to God about. There's nothing he can't help you with. There's nothing he has not forgiven you for. You can be confident with God. And relatedly, we're told, therefore, that you can be certain about eternal life. Verse 23. Let's hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Now, unswervingly is a good word. It means to not be distracted. Don't veer off to the right. Don't swerve to the left. Keep on the road. Set your focus firmly on the hope of eternal life. And why? Verse 23, because he who promised is faithful. Again, it's about you can be confident with God. When God says something, he means it. When God sets out the terms of a new covenant, you can be confident of those terms because you know that God's not going to renege on it. He's faith. He, he who promised is faithful. Heard recently that the growth industry in Hollywood at the moment is tattoo removals. Uh, the reason is because it's really trendy, evidently, to get tattoos of your partner's name somewhere on your body. Trouble is, they change partners so often in Hollywood, the tattoo removal business is booming. Friends, God would not hesitate to put your name tattooed on him somewhere. When God says something, he means it. And so when God sets out the terms of a new covenant, the way looking at it lately, you can count on those terms. You can be fully confident with God. Which in some ways is what we've been thinking about the last couple of weeks. But here's where Hebrews gets interesting. Because now it shifts focus from confidence in God to care of one another. Have a look at verse 24. And let's... Consider how we can spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let's not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Let, let's encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Notice all the nurturing language in those verses. Eh? We should be spurring on. We should be encouraging one another. We should be not giving up on each other. Now why throw this in about the, uh, as a consequence of the new covenant? Well, I'm thinking it makes perfect sense given what we have seen of the new covenant over the past few weeks. I mean, over the last few weeks, we've been bumping up time and time and time against the fact that this new covenant is just so wonderful, that in bringing in the terms of this covenant, Jesus has effectively delivered for us the best possible relationship with God. Remember last week, this is not the next best covenant, this is the always best covenant. And when you are onto something that good... Well, you stick to it. 
You stick with it. And not only do you stick with it, you help other people stick with it. That's how life works, isn't it? When something's really valuable, when something's really important, of course we help each other. We help our kids with their homework. We go and cheer on our team at the sporting field. We help colleagues at work with different projects. How much more should we be helping each other follow Jesus? Live out this new covenant. I mean, if we really believe that this new covenant is as important as the past shown us, of course we'd be helping one another. And not just in vague, wishy-washy ways either. I mean, look at the verse 24 again. Let's consider how we can spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Now, that's, that verse is not describing having cups of tea and being nice with one another. It's far more than that. It's got far harder edge than that. It, what's being described here is being nice to one another with purpose. To specifically help someone to love to, towards love and good deeds. To help each other be more like Jesus. It, it's walking up to someone and saying how encouraged you are that they're so committed to, to keeping their quiet times. It's, it's specifically asking someone how they are getting on with Jesus through the rough, rough and tumble of life. It's passing on a Christian book that, that you've been helped by and passing on to someone else in the hope that they'll be strengthened as well. It's pleading with God with tears for one another. So let's not give up meeting together, verse 25, as some are in the habit of doing. Let's encourage one another, all the more as you see the day approaching. Now there's a very tangible verse to think through, isn't it? Stay committed to this meeting. Because in all honesty, how little an excuse do you need not to be here? Why is it that you can pretty well confidently predict that on a cold, wet, winter Sunday morning that numbers will be down? Why should we be able to predict that? And you might be thinking, well, I'm okay, I'm here, aren't I? But with what sort of attitude are you here? Begrudging? Just a sense of obligation? Or uh, Verse 25 links in here with encouraging each other. And so did you walk through the door with that mindset, with a specific goal to help the others in this room stay loyal to Jesus and to live out the new covenant? In the conversations that you've already had since you've been here, in your choice of where to sit this morning, in the way that you listen or don't listen through the Bible times, in the conversations that you're going to have over, over a cup or afterwards, to what extent is your specific intention to encourage the other person to love and good deeds? Or are you simply here to catch up with some friends? Because nothing better came up this week. The message Hebrews is wanting us to see here, the message... The lesson it's giving us from Jeremiah 31 is actually it's applying the new covenant to us and the take-home assignment for all of us is if the new covenant is as amazing as we've been in the past few weeks, if what Jesus achieves for us really is so crucial, if it really is state-of-the-art as, as we've been noticing, friends, we ought to be pulling out all the stops to help each other, to support each other as we follow Jesus, as we live out the covenant. Because remember why Hebrews was written? 
It's written to Jewish Christians who are toying with the idea of getting away from Jesus. And the great tragedy is that probably every single one of us in this room can probably name someone who we know who seems to have drifted away as well. Most of us can probably name people who used to call themselves Christians. Maybe they used to be around this church, used to be really involved, used to be so enthusiastic. Maybe for some of them, they're the people who introduced us to Jesus in the first place, but now they are people who hardly give Jesus the time of day. And it probably wasn't a conscious decision that they made to walk away. It's just that they drifted away. And Hebrews is saying, God is saying, don't let it happen to you. Don't let it happen to anyone else in this room. I think I mentioned before that one of the scariest uh, moments of my life was uh, one morning when I went swimming uh, at Terrigal Beach on the Central Coast. Uh, it was a day when the surf was enormous. If you know Terrigal, you'd realise that it doesn't usually have a big surf, but this day it was massive. Around the bend, uh, further up into Womberall, the, the waves were huge. Up there, the, the beach was actually closed. You weren't allowed in there at all. But just from the narrow corridor of the, the Surf Life Club in Terrigal, the flags were out and you could go in there. So a mate and I, uh, we did go in. It was great. We were having the time of our life, catching waves, body surfing. We were in for ages. And then after a while, we started to sort of realise that, gee, these, these waves are getting a bit bigger than they were before. And, oh, man, this current is a bit stronger than it was before. And, we, and for the first time, we turned around, looked to the, looked to the shore, and we realised that we had drifted hundreds down the beach. We were way out of the patrolled area, right in the middle of all these massive waves pounding us one after the other. And... For the only time in my life, I honestly thought I was going to die. I was so exhausted. I was so disorientated. I honestly thought I was going to drown. All because we were having such a good time, we just didn't notice. We drifted. And that's the thing about drifting. It requires no effort whatsoever to drift. The effort is required to not drift. And so Hebrews quotes Jeremiah 31 so as to say to us, if this covenant is as terrific as it sounds, a new obedient heart, intimacy with God, complete and utter forgiveness, friends, if these are the terms of the covenant, why on earth would you ever walk away from that? How could you not be making every effort to stick with it, to help the others in this room stick with it? So let's consider how to spur one another on to love and good deeds. Let's not give up meeting as some are in the habit of doing. Let's encourage one another. I'll pray. Father, thank you again for, for the enormous blessings of the new covenant that you have ushered us into through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Father, help us to value Jesus.
and to so sense the rich privileges of this covenant that we will make every effort to stay loyal and to help the others in this room and our church family stay loyal as well. Father, by your word and spirit, please protect us from drifting. And please use us to prevent others from well. Thank you for the opportunity we've got of being here this morning. Help us not to waste it.